But if you've got somebody that's in a chronic MS situation, a chronic flare-up, I don't know that I'd train that person. I don't know that you can help her. I think there's a lot of room to make things worse. Because her problem at this point is not strength. Her problem is staying alive. Right? I've never trained anybody with MS. I've trained people with paralysis and things like that. Sure, me too. I've had MS patients in the gym before. Yeah. We're just careful with them. Got all kinds of weird stuff. But MS is a, if, if it's in the process of, of being, uh, uh, you know, actually flared up right now in an active process against her nervous system, she uh, might not benefit from training. Jeff, input? I would be real scared to have a patient that had multiple sclerosis um, on this kind of program unless they were really well controlled. And it doesn't sound like she's well controlled well, right no. now. Because it would make the MS worse or because it's dangerous? Yeah. probability of injury would make me Yeah, I mean, really there are things you could do to mitigate that, right? Yeah, so that if the injury, she could she could deadlift or rack pull, she could yeah. leg press, yeah, she yeah, could do yeah, things where she's not going to get hurt. I, my, my question is more of if, yes, yes, that's a big question. That's what we're talking about. Because we can mitigate the injury risk. I don't know if an inflammatory response in the body would necessarily correlate with an like the plaques and things that are forming in their brain. So mm -hmm. Jeff says it's okay well, to train. Well, it, it would depend on. The, <laughs> it, would, it would also depend on her specific <laughs> MS diagnosis. Can we get a picture and a sign? What we did do is we took we did do what you just said, where you yeah. know, she can't really squat. Sure, she can't of course not. On her feet. No, the same with the that'd be dangerous. So yeah. we're like we're not stupid. Sure, but. You have a rack pull a little bit. You yeah, have her leg she press. Could probably do some sort of a rack pull. Sure. You stand behind her. Yeah. Pin, pin overhead presses, right? So you put a, the bar in the pin so that light, if she drops it, yes. mm -hmm. drops on the pin. Have her slide the bar up the rack. Yep. You know, do a little partial range of motion. Uh, with extreme precaution, you might have her bench press. Sure. She's protected by pins. You could probably have her bench press. You might have to have her actually push the bar up and down the back of the rack, right. right, to control the range of motion for her. But it would be good if she could learn to control that range of motion herself, because that would be a beneficial adaptation for her. Yeah. As a friend but or family member. My concern would be that, family that the cortisol stress that we would put her under as a normal part of the stress recovery adaptation cycle might make her EMS worse. That'd be my concern. I'm not concerned about hurting her because I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I know how to keep from doing that. I don't want to load her to the point that I cause something worse to happen than is already happening. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Now, why do you think that was a stupid question? That's the best question we've had so far. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, Ours were stupid. Antoine. Antoine. You don't have a question either, right? Oh, you got that. No, I don't he, have a question. he has a question. Well, All right. we talked about only changing one thing at a time when we go running, especially when you get somebody to the lowest of LP to advance. But then you also talked about how the pressing movements usually get faster to the, the intermediate of advance, mm -hmm. like the mm -hmm. variables. What happens if you get to a point where? Like the three movements 
get to where you have to change either some sort of frequency, volume, or intensity? Mm -hmm. Is it still changing only one thing at a time? Because no, it's remember, only one thing per movement? Remember what I said. I said, yeah. I said you, you, you pick the most effective thing to change. Other right. variables are going to be affected. When you, when, you, when you change an exercise, you're changing frequency. When you change volume and all, you're you're manipulating various things. It's to not do too many at one time. Yeah, it's the minimum the mi the mini effective dose. It doesn't. Thing. It's not the single effective. It's not the single thing, right? So, almost always, if volume goes up, intensity comes down. If intensity goes up, well, after after you're well out of the novice phase, if intensity goes up, volume comes down. So those are two things, but <coughs> you can still manipulate both. But you don't want to change intensity, volume, frequency, exercise selection. Subjective RPE also at the same time, because then and, and one of the problems is sometimes that actually works, but you don't know right? Like we, but then what worked? Yeah. I don't know, right? So the scientific method says, well, let's let's change a variable. We know what the constant looks like. Change the variable, see if it worked. Test it. It worked or didn't. Make another change. Now you got data. Now you have something right. to work on. If you off change of. eight variables at one time and something changes in the end of the system, you don't have any data. But like if you change variables like frequency, mm -hmm. most likely the, the intensity and volume is going to go up as well. So That's right. adding another day in a week. Of course. That's right. So then all of that changes at one point. Sure. Although it wouldn't have to, right? Like you could say if you're doing, let's say you're doing three sets on bench press twice a week, and so that's six sets. You decide to bench press three times a week, and you did two sets three times a week. That's the same volume, but probably volume goes up as well because you're probably not doing two sets, right? You just overall stress has to go up a little bit over the course of time. The problem with dumping a bunch of stress on somebody, even if they're young and can handle the stress, we as a programmer, it's kind of like doing nutrition. Is Santana in here? Yeah, it's kind of like doing nutrition. You kind of always want to hold some cards in your pocket to play. If you play all your cards at once, right? Somebody goes on a diet and you're like, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to raise your protein way up. We're going to make sure you eat the right kind of carbs. We're going to drop your fat. We're going to reduce your calories. We're going to put you on thermogenics and we're going to do cardio. Makes you and sound like you know what the fuck you're talking it about. Works it works. Let's say it works awesome for like six weeks. Yeah. And then it stops. What are you going to do? You already did everything, right? So it's not that it, well, programming is the same way. Let's do one thing at a time. Let's hold some stuff back so that when that thing stops working, we can play another card. We always want to try to have cards to play. We kind of have an idea, okay, when this thing stops working, now I'm going to add this step. That makes sense? Yeah. Everything, it's always a trade-off when you make a, a programming decision. So you got you to think about what the, what the potential negatives are, what you're doing to the overall stress of your program. And you're also keeping in mind that your goal is not to make a programming change for the sake of making a programming change. The goal is to add weight to the bar either next workout or next week or next month, right? Yeah. So what's, what's going to get that accomplished, right? <clears throat> so is it, a, is it a mental thing where changing an exercise is going to significantly help your ability to squat heavy next Monday? Even though it might not be the best decision to make, maybe it is a good decision. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's weird. Where I was thinking about that the other day, where we always talk about how training is about not today; it's about out here, right? So the thing we're doing today in the gym is not about today, but it's about the long-term goal. We've got these goals. The interesting thing is on LP training and exercise. It is actually t what happens today is the thing that makes the thing go up, but it's only in LP. That's true. Outside of LP, because Monday, Wednesday's heavier than Monday, Friday's heavier than Wednesday. Because the overload event in is LP. one day. 
is, is very, very short. Yeah, sure. it's 48 to and 72 hours. We, we don't talk enough about the overload event yeah. analysis, but the overload event is the thing that causes the stress, that produces the stress that causes the adaptation. Yeah. The cumulative stress. The cumulative stress. But the cumulative uh, the stress overload event in an LP is one right. workout. Yeah, that's right. right. It's real simple. Cumul the overload event in intermediate level programming is the week. Overload event in advanced programming is three weeks or a month, maybe longer than that. Right? That's a useful concept. So the, the more advanced the athlete, the longer the overload event must necessarily be. Meaning the total amount of stress accumulated in order to disrupt homeostasis enough to cause the adaptive response we want, which is strength, is going to take longer and longer and longer. I can't it's get. It's going to take longer to apply. To apply. And it's going to take longer to, to recover that's from right. as well. Yes. Yeah. Right. See, and this is all in the gray book. All right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I I assume, and I'm, I'm sure that this is in the book, but I assume that the that your writing of the book and the physics that came behind it were developed after years and years of experience. But, and if that's the case, did you did anything change in how you would sort of teach a lot of these lifts as a result of something that you found oh out? Oh God, yes. <laughs> you, have you seen the first and second editions of the book? They're all right there. They're completely different. So completely different. was your question if, if he changed something when, while writing the book, he figured something out, or the, the stuff that's in the book, was that a result of figuring things out? So it's kind of like, I mean, we, we talked a lot about moment on, <coughs> physics, and levers, and, and yep. all that stuff. And I mean, I, I assume like through experience, you, you also figured a lot of that stuff out before, just based off, okay, if somebody low bars, they can lift more than if they high bar, and then kind of looked at the physics as to why that's, like, why yeah. that's happened. Yeah, the techniques came before the explanation for the techniques. So and then the explanations refined the techniques. techniques. Mm -hmm. the, the linear progression program came just from my practical experience teaching people how to, how to squat that joined my gym. Everybody joined my gym, learned how to do the barbell exercises. And my desire was to retain the membership, so I just developed a way to show them eight workouts, 10 workouts over two logbook pages, and I wanted the numbers to go up. So how did I make the numbers go up? Added five pounds to all the exercises every time. <laughs> Brutally said. God damned if they didn't get strong. <laughs> and that's, that's where that all came from. You know, and as it, as it turns out, that, that was, you know, pretty important development. Because what was at the norm at, at, at the time, back in the 80s and 90s, you know, all these people were still running around going, oh, the, you, you can't make significant gains in muscular body weight for six months. Mm. It's all neurological. It's all neurological development. They do still say it now. Despite the fact that we've proven <laughs> them wrong <laughs> millions of times. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. So, uh, no, I'd, I'd have, you know, little 18-year-old kids sign up and gain 12 pounds in 10 days. 
You know, and their squat would go up 40 pounds in 10 days. And the way I knew that is because I would add more weight and I can see it across the page. So that is kind of where it came from to begin with. And much later, uh, you know, with, as a direct result of my association with CrossFit, I had to start nailing down the why do we deadlift this weight part. And that's where that analysis came from because it was forced on me. So you had to like reverse engineer it from the top. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I know this is the way we deadlift. All right. I know this is the way that's the best way to deadlift. But I don't know how to tell you why right now, but I'm going to. <laughs> but I'm going to figure it out, and I did. And then, under this analysis, here's a little tweak I need to make to the way we teach the deadlift. Yeah. Think, and that's never really stopped. No, we do right? that. Like the we lecture you everywhere. just heard in programming is the thing that's changed the most over the last year. We've, yeah, because we've continued to tweak it to this sort of yeah. making these minimum effective dose changes to understand that you don't just like in all of sort of programming history in the weight room, you just did a program till it didn't work and then you're just like picked a new program. Well, that's dumb. If you understand like the big concept of programming, then you just figure out what made the thing stop working and make one change and keep making progress and then make another change and keep making progress. And, you do, and, and what that does is that makes you look at the long term programming model. We don't look at programming anymore from a one week, three week, three month, six month, one year. You just look like, what are we going to do over the next, the lifetime of the slipper, the decade, whatever. And, and the direction we want it to hit is constantly way. that. Is this way. 